Turn in your Bibles to Isaiah 51. Isaiah, the 51st chapter. And no, we are not straying from our normal series in the book of Hebrews. But I want to go ahead and get you to Isaiah 51, which is where we're going to be spending the bulk of our time as we use as a um, subject this morning. By faith, we transition. By faith, we transition. And as you're turning to Isaiah 51, I'm going to read to you from Hebrews 11 and 28. By faith, they passed through the Red Sea as by dry land, which the Egyptians are saying to do were drowned. By faith, we transition. In Isaiah, the 51st chapter, you'll read in verse 10, it says, Art, that art thou not it which hath dried the sea, the waters of the great deep, that hath made the depths of the sea a way for the ransom to pass over? And the definition of the word Passover, phrase Passover, is to transition. So what we have before us this morning, I admit to you, is in some ways is one of the hardest examples to identify with. And you think about it. The parting of the Red Sea. One of the greatest moments in history. One of the greatest demonstrations of the power of God witnessed by millions of people at one time. I will say this. This is one of the greatest and most numerously witnessed events that has ever occurred. You're, you're talking about a minimum of two million people, maybe three to five million people saw this miracle. And not only that, when you throw on top of that the 600 Egyptians or the 600 chariots and other numbers of Egyptians that Pharaoh had and Pharaoh himself, of course, they didn't hang around to testify of it, did they? <laughs> They were drowned in the Red Sea. But it was an incredible host of witnesses that saw this incredible event. And I admit to you, it's, it's difficult to envision and identify it, Ide identify with it. So as we consider by faith we transition, you pray for me this morning that we can understand how to identify with this and that we can be encouraged and strengthened. The reason we're at Isaiah 51, I'll just go ahead and give you a little personal testimony Whenever I try to study out a subject, I try to read everything in the Bible about it. Even if I've read it before, whenever the Lord lays something on my heart, I just go and try to dig up everything that's in the Scripture that has to do with the particular subject, which the subject here is passing over of the Red Sea, transitioning from one side of the sea to the other side. And so I mark down all these different places in the Scripture, and there's a bunch of them, by the way. It's really interesting to read. And if you want, you say, well, I just can't get anything out of the scripture. Don't give me that. If you find a subject or an event or whatever, there's plenty to read about it. It's, that's just sometimes laziness in our own nature, right? So as I was reading through the, I don't know, 10 or 15 references to this event and, and reading about the event itself, this one was like a magnet. Isaiah 51. I just kept coming back to it. So that's where we're going to spend most of our time here today. Isaiah, the 51st chapter. And we're going to read a lot of scripture right now. And this will probably be the most, absolutely will be the most perfect part, unless I flub a word here, but it'll be the most perfect part of the sermon this morning. But I want you to get the, the gist of what's going on here in Isaiah. By the way, this is about 750 years after the Red Sea. So if you're having trouble identifying with the Red Sea parting, this is 750 years and they didn't have... Hollywood or Charlton Heston or any kind of remake. <laughs> you see, 
these folks were, would deal with the same thing you did, you do, regarding not having seen it. So let's read Isaiah 51. We're going to read a good bit of Scripture. Hearken to me, ye that follow after righteousness, ye that seek the Lord. Look unto the rock from whence ye are hewn, and to the hole of the pit whence ye are digged. Look unto Abraham your father, and unto Abraham and Sarah that bear you. For I called him alone, and blessed him, and increased him. For the Lord shall comfort Zion. He will comfort all her waste places, and he will make her wilderness like Eden, and her desert like the garden of the Lord. Joy and gladness shall be found therein, thanksgiving and the voice of melody. Hearken unto me. Are y'all getting this? The Lord says, listen up. Listen to me. Hearken unto me, my people, and give ear unto me, O my nation. For a law shall proceed from me, and I will make my judgment to rest for a light of the people. My righteousness is near. My salvation is gone forth, and mine arms shall judge the people. The isles shall wait upon me, and on mine arms shall they trust. Lift up your eyes to the heavens, and look upon the earth beneath. For the heavens shall vanish away like smoke, and the earth shall wax old like a garment. And they that dwell therein shall die in like manner. But my salvation shall be forever, and my righteousness shall not be abolished. Hearken unto me, ye that know righteousness. Do you know righteousness this morning? And the Lord is saying, listen up. <laughs> the people in whose heart is my law, fear ye not the reproach of men, neither be ye afraid of their revilings, for the moth shall eat them up like a garment, and the worm shall eat them like wool. But my righteousness shall be forever, and my salvation from generation to generation. And now there is a cry from the people. These next two verses are a cry from the people for the Lord to wake up as if he's asleep. Awake, awake, put on strength, O arm of the Lord. Awake, as in the ancient days, in the generations of old. Art thou not it, that's the arm of the Lord, that hath cut Rahab, that's a reference to Pharaoh, and wounded the dragon? Art thou not it, the arm of the Lord, which hath dried the sea, the waters of the great deep, and hath made the depths of the sea a way for the ransom to pass over? Therefore the redeemed of the Lord shall return, and come with singing unto Zion, and everlasting joy shall be upon their head. They shall obtain gladness and joy, and sorrow and mourning shall flee away. Sounds pretty good to me, doesn't it to you? I, even I, am he that comforteth you. Who art thou that shouldest be afraid of man that shall die, and of the son of man which shall be made as grass? And forgettest the Lord thy maker, that has stretched forth the heavens and laid the foundations of the earth, and has feared continually every day because of the fury of the oppressor? As if he were ready to destroy? And where is the fury of the oppressor? The captive exile hasteneth that he may be loosed, and that he should not die in the pit, nor that his bread should fail. But I am the Lord thy God that divided the sea, whose waves roared. <laughs> the Lord of hosts is his name. And I have put my words in thy mouth, and I have covered thee in the shadow of my hand, that I may plant the heavens and lay the foundations of the earth, and say unto Zion, Thou art my people. Awake, awake, stand up, O Jerusalem. They told the Lord to wake up. The Lord turns around and he says to you and to me and to Jerusalem, he says, awake, awake. We don't need to tell the Lord to awake because he never sleeps. But we certainly need to rouse from sleep, do we not? Have you ever had your leg fall asleep? You know, the people said, awake, awake, O thou arm of the Lord. Have you ever gone to sleep maybe like this one night with your head on your arm and 
You wake up and you think your arm's gone. You can't even feel it anymore. Or have you ever crossed your legs during a sermon so you could write your notes and the next thing you know your foot falls asleep and you know in your mind that if you got up and walked right then you'd, you'd, you'd fall, fall out. What does it take to wake up one of your limbs that falls asleep? What do you do with your hand if it's asleep? You start moving it, right? What do you do with that leg? You start rubbing it or you move it or you walk on it easily. How does a limb that's asleep wake up? You see, the Lord never sleeps. <laughs> we are like those sleeping limbs, those sleeping arms and sleeping legs that are useless while they are asleep, are they not? And if you transfer that over to the mind, <laughs> what about the dreams that we have in our sleep that are so crazy sometimes? Sister Tracy woke me up last night with some horrible dream that she had. I said, it's okay, it's just a dream. <laughs> and then, I told her this morning, I said, after you went back to sleep, I had a horrible dream. So it's just sort of useless in your sleep, is it not? When you're asleep, you really can't get anything done. You're subject to whatever nocturnal uh, things are going on in your mind. The craziness sometimes of the way our minds run while we're asleep. So what does it take to wake up those sleeping limbs? What does it take in the morning? It takes me a cup of coffee. <laughs> How about that? It takes a few more cups of coffee for some of y'all and you know who you are. But it takes action to wake up, right? It takes movement to wake up. And the people of God are crying out, Awake, O arm of the Lord! And the arm of the Lord is never asleep. It's us. Because the Lord says, Awake, you wake up. And notice how the Lord moves to wake us up. He says, Remember. Remember my power. Remember what I did. He references directly the cutting the cutting off of the head or the bruising of the head of the great dragon, Arachab, uh, which is a reference to Pharaoh. Have you ever seen the head of someone cut off so cleanly? The head of a state so completely destroyed as I believe with all of my heart that Pharaoh himself was drowned in that Red Sea. You never heard from him again. He led his troops in there. Don't, don't believe what... Yule Brenner does in the Ten Commandments. Don't believe the Hollywood versions of it because I believe there's enough evidence to prove there that the Lord drowned Pharaoh in the Red Sea. He said, you'll never hear from him again. And the children of Israel went from over here scared like little chickens on one side of an impossible situation. Over here to the other side, they transitioned to an improbable deliverance, an amazing and improbable deliverance. And looking at the bodies of the Egyptians and maybe Pharaoh himself. That's Pharaoh? That dead body drowned in the sea by the power of our God? Is this guy who, who vaunted himself against our God? I tell you, the God that lived in the olden times is just the same today as the song says. You can believe that the Red Sea was parted because God said he did it. And there were two to five million witnesses that saw that happen. But I'm going to tell you, God's still parting Red Seas all the time. Now, let me say this. As I studied and thought about this Red Sea deliverance, this transition, you know, so a lot of times by faith, we think about, you know, Abel, he took the lamb, he killed the lamb, he offered it to the Lord. Uh, other examples, you know, Abraham, he got up by faith, he moved and he walked out. I believe that this example of the Red Sea 
is it has to do more with belief, just internal belief and confidence in the Lord. Because think about it. There is absolutely nothing that anybody did on this side of the Red Sea when the Egyptians were uh, closing in on them. There's nothing that those people did to prompt the Lord or cause the Lord to do what the Lord did, right? And when the Lord blew upon the, the Red Sea and like a blow dryer dried the ground of the Red Sea, so it wasn't even muddy, and the Red Sea, it says literally that it congealed. Y'all ever had congealed salad? You know, you can... You can poke it, you know, and it kind of jiggles. That's what it means. It, it, the Red Sea congealed on both sides like a congealed salad. <laughs> and they walked through on dry ground. That's power right there now. So uh, imagine yourself as one of those Israelites. What have you done to prompt the Lord to part this sea? Absolutely nothing. As a matter of fact, there was really only one, possibly only three men who were in a state of believing that they were going to be delivered before it happened. The others were crying out and saying, oh, we're dead. You should have left us in Egypt. They had no belief in the Lord as they faced that impossible situation. Pharaoh's closing in with his armies and there's a sea right behind them. They have no way out. It's, it's impossible. And they go from impossible to an amazing and improbable deliverance. Now, if the Lord has ever delivered you in the smallest of ways or the largest of ways, don't tell me that you can't identify with the deliverance at the Red Sea, especially when you looked and you thought, there's no way I can do anything about this situation. I hope and pray that you weren't like the Israelites who says there is no hope. I hope you were like Moses and maybe uh, Caleb and Joshua, who I believe knew in their heart that the Lord was going to bring a great deliverance. They had no idea how. <laughs> there were many possibilities on how the Lord could have delivered, but the Lord chose the most amazing way to deliver. Did he not? But imagine if you were one of those Israelites and you're walking through the dry ground, unmuddied bottom of the Red Sea, and you're looking to the right and you're looking to the left at the congealed salad of the Red Sea, and you're thinking, what are you thinking? You're thinking, this is amazing. Are you thinking, look at what I've done? <laughs> A silly, isn't it? Look at how I have prompted God to save me this way. That's ridiculous. You're just scurrying along along the Red Sea, standing uh, floor of the Red Sea, standing in awe of what God has done. That's the position that we want to be in when we say by faith we transition. As those people transition from certain doom over here to absolute um, improbable and amazing deliverance over there, they were walking and scurrying along uh, the, the bottom of the Red Sea and thinking, this is incredible. I never saw this coming. You ever been that way? <laughs> the Lord's still parting Red Seas. And let me say this as we consider the picture of what's going on. Two things. One about archaeology. Don't blind to the archaeologists that say there was just a little muddy creek over here, a little muddy swampy area that God parted. Don't buy into that nonsense. There's an actual place. You can read about it in archaeology where uh, there's a place over there in the Middle East where it's most likely that they crossed. And it's almost like a land bridge. Everything else is craggy and canyon-like under the water. And you come to this certain point on this peninsula and it's almost like there's a, a, a thousand foot deep where, whereas other places, I hope I remember, it's, I think it's a thousand feet, but it was, it's very deep. And then on each side of that land bridge, from an archaeological, archaeological standpoint uh, and a ge geographical standpoint, it's you know, five to six thousand uh, feet deep and it's craggy with canyons. But in this one little area, there's a land bridge that's wide enough you know, for chariots and people to come across 
And it's, it's a sandy land bridge that comes up is only about 1,000 feet deep. It's very probable that, that in history and geography, that's where they crossed. And the Lord parted it back right there. And listen, it's not that he couldn't have flown the children of Israel over if he wanted to, but to prove God's power as the creator and the ruler of the seas, and he can cause people to cross red seas anywhere he wants to. That's where he chose to do it. See? And let's listen to this now. Not only from a historical and a geographical and an archaeological standpoint, and by the way, side note, they found golden chariot wheels in the bottom of that land bridge, buried in the sea. I mean, that makes you just want to go, duh. <laughs> but that's kind of smart, Ellie, so we don't need to do that. We'll scratch that off of the Facebook Live and off of uh, the podcast. Maybe. You know, they've got chariot wheels in the bottom of the ocean, and there's gold wheels down there, gold hubcaps. Come on. Now, also think about this. You understand that there were not just grown men and women crossing that Red Sea. You understand that there were mamas holding their little infant babies. I tell you right now, if that's not a beautiful evidence of what we believe as old Baptists, that it doesn't matter if it's an infant in the womb, all the way down to a thief on the cross, God's going to transition His people to get them where they need to be. And I'm not just talking about from one landmass to another. I'm talking about from this earth, this landmass down here, to the infinite portals of heaven. You hear me? There was no baby in the arms of a mother whose belief contributed to the Lord parting the Red Sea. Is that point clear enough? There was no disbelieving Israelite there who, whose disbelief caused the Lord to do what He did. You see, it wasn't the belief or it wasn't the disbelief that caused God to show out there on the shores of the Red Sea. It's God Himself. So our transition, when we go from an absolute impossible situation like that and we go to an amazing and improbable deliverance, the only conclusion that you can reach is all glory to the Lord. As you were, if you were one of those Israelites and you were walking across that land mass that God had dried up and you were saying all glory to Jehovah, there was no possibility of glory to any man, woman, or child. And when it comes to your salvation, child of grace, listen, there is no possibility, there is no place, there's no lodging place for the works of man. There's no place for belief in your eternal salvation. There's no place for works in your eternal salvation. There's no place for baptism in your eternal salvation. All of those things are works and belief and baptism are all evidences of your salvation. And they're glorifying to God, but you've got to keep them in their right place. You see? So the conclusion of this great transition is all glory goes to the Lord. Now, I'm telling you this. There was not a single person who crossed that Red Sea who didn't believe. Well, of course, the infants now, they didn't have the capacity to believe. So I take that back. There were some infants that were just crying to their mothers and fathers. They couldn't believe. But the adults, the ones that were capable of cognizant thought, every single one of them believed. Because in that circumstance, seeing was believing. They saw the Red Sea congealed on both sides. Seeing was believing in that circumstance. But I tell you, by the eye of faith today, you see and you believe from a spiritual standpoint. This is the power of our God. He parts the seas to get His children from one side to the other. He's going to part the skies one day to get His children and their bodies from this old earth where they've been planted. He's going to part the skies to get them to heaven. (laughs) 
and everybody will be a believer then. Infant, there won't be any infants, but the, from, from the infant that was aborted in the, the womb that was born again, touched by the grace of God before the abortioner got to that child, all the way down to the thief on the cross who said, Lord, remember me. Everybody's going to be praising God for His transition of us, you see? So why not go ahead and wake up to that now? That's what the Lord is saying there in the book of Isaiah, the 51st chapter. He's saying, wake up. Now, from a natural standpoint, just think about it. Go down and next time you go to the beach, just go out there, take just a few minutes, you know, and just go stand on the seashore and just look at that beach and just imagine the power that it would take, the power that it would take for a force to come in and push that sea back and give you the opportunity to walk on dry ground across that sea, across the, the, the floor of that sea. That's power, is it not? From a natural standpoint, you can sort of identify with that if you just go and ponder on it. But from a, a spiritual stand, standpoint, we stand on the edge of the Red Sea right now. You understand? Your Red Sea may be the upcoming election. And if the person that you want to go in doesn't go in, it's, the, the world's going to come to an end. I can assure you the world's not going to come to an end until the Lord says it's going to come to an end. It may be politics. It may be the fear of the coronavirus. I assure you that the word corona, you know, means king. But I assure you that there is a king greater than coronavirus. And it is the Lord Jesus Christ, the King of kings and Lord of lords. If that sickness takes you out, God forbid it takes me out or any of my family out. It has taken some, some wonderful dear children of God out, but it didn't have the last say. God, the King of kings and Lord of lords, has the last say. It may be that your Red Sea is your sin that you're struggling with. I, I hope and pray that you do struggle with your sin. If you come across somebody that's not struggling with their sin, there's a problem. <laughs> because we're sinners. And Paul said, oh, wretched man that I am. We are wretched men and women and children. We are wretched. You say, I don't like hearing that word. But listen, that's what, God, that's what we're described as. We're wretches. And because of God's mercy and His grace and parting and dividing the Red Seas of our life and the Red Sea of our sin... We no longer are those wretches, but we are saved by grace. And we're, we're saints and priests to the Lord. You see, kings and priests to the Lord. Surely you can identify with impossible circumstances and amazing deliverances that give all glory to the Lord. Let me give you a few. <clears throat> it was an impossible circumstance for the thief on the cross in the book of Luke. To make amends for what he had done. Is it not? Was it not? He's in the last few minutes of his life and dying. It's an impossible circumstance. The only thing he could do was just after God touched him by his grace. Remember, he had been cursing Jesus. And God touches him by his grace and he says, Lord, remember me. When thou comest into thy kingdom, remember me. And Jesus, got, Jesus gave him something better. He parted his Red Sea in a greater way. He said, today you're going to be with me in my kingdom. <laughs> in heaven, you're going to be with me. Only God can do that. What about the woman who had the physical infirmity of the issue of blood in Mark the 8th chapter? Or Mark the 5th chapter. I can't remember if it's Mark 5 or 8. But the woman had spent all of her money on doctors and was none the better, but rather got worse. Impossible. That was her Red Sea. Her health, she could not get better. And she came to the one who was known as the great physician. And one little whisk of the cloak of the one who was the great physician, she was healed. Her Red Sea was parted. What about the woman in John 8 who was caught in adultery? 
She was under the sentence of death under the law in those days. She was to be stoned to death. And they come and they just cast her down in front of Jesus. There was no way out. She'd been caught in the very act. And Jesus rose up from the ground and spoke those glorious words. He said, he that is among you without sin, that is without sin, let him cast the first stone at her. I tell you, that cuts me to the bone, does it not? Well, they cut them to the bone, and one by one, they dropped their stones, and they walked out from the oldest to the youngest. You see, that tells me that the older ones had a little more sense than the younger ones. (laughs) Sorry, guys. I was in that boat one day, too. (laughs) Probably still am to some degree. But anyway, the oldest went out to the youngest, and the woman was there. Still, she's got a Red Sea in front of her, and she's standing in front of the great and holy righteous judge. When thou, my righteous judge, shall come. I tell you, that woman's righteous judge had come and stood in her presence. And he said, woman, where are thine accusers? She said, no man is accusing me, Lord. He said, neither do I. Rise up. Go and sin no more. (laughs) What mercy flows down from the lips of our deliverer. What the parting of a Red Sea. You see how our Red Seas can be so many different things. What about the prodigal in Luke, the 15th chapter, as you read about the father who let his son go because he saw that he was impetuous and he was arrogant and he didn't care anything about the father. As a matter of fact, when he told the father what he did about getting his inheritance, he basically was saying, Lord, uh, he was basically was saying, Father, I just wish you were dead. That's what he was saying. So the father let him go. And that son, that prodigal son, had a vast Red Sea, an impossible circumstance in front of him. You might even see it as the prodigal over here on one side of the Red Sea, one shore, and the father over here on the other. And this terrible sea in between them. There's no way they can come back together. But the Lord parted that Red Sea. Let me tell you, when he was down there and he'd had his fill of the world, and he'd had his fill of sin, and he'd had his fill of the harlots, and he'd had his fill of the wine, and he'd had his fill of the partying, I tell you, and he looked back across the way, and it was so far from home and the thought that came into his mind was don't they have clothes back where I'm from and I don't have just have rags upon me don't they have shoes in my father's house don't they have food and I'm standing down here looking at the the filth of this pig food (laughs) the sea was parted and the father sees him coming across that vast sea of separation that the prodigal son's sin had caused only God can do that What about dear old brother Job? What a Red Sea. Can you? I believe that we can identify more with the parting of the Red Sea than we can with what Job went through. He's lost every single cent that he has. Lost every animal that was under his uh, ownership. Lost almost all of the servants. There's only like three left. He's still got his wife, who wasn't a whole lot of help to him at that point. And there's Job. He's lost all his ten children. I just don't think we can identify fully with that. And what did Job say? Job's standing there on the shore of that sea, feeling as though he's separated from God. And in Job, the 14th chapter, he says, man that is born of a woman is uh, full of trouble. You understand, Job was feeling convicted about his own existence. Job was saying, oh, Lord, just go ahead and kill me. Have we ever been in that type of Red Sea situation? I'd just rather die. (laughs) That's what what Job says. That's what Job concludes uh, in in the midst of all this that is going on. And by the way, on top of that, his friends have come along and began to accuse him. 
You did something wrong, Job. Man that is born of a woman is a few days and full of trouble. He cometh forth like a flower and is cut down. He fleeth also as a shadow. Who can bring a clean thing out of an unclean thing? Not one. And he says to the Lord, turn from him, turn from this man, that he may rest till he shall accomplish as a hireling his day. And Job goes on and he just mourns and mourns and mourns over his condition. Job had a Red Sea, did he not? I hope that we don't react to the Red Sea like Job did. Because Job began to arrogantly demand to argue his case before the Lord. Lord, I don't deserve this. I didn't do anything to deserve it. How many of us have gotten in that mindset? I've done everything right. You know, I've, I've crossed my T's and I've dotted my I's and I've done exactly what is required of me. And now these terrible things are happening to me. I just don't deserve this. Lord, if you were here, I would stake my case before you and I'd probably win. <laughs> Better be careful because the Lord showed up and parted that Red Sea of Job with a whirlwind, a tornado. He comes before Job and he says, who are you to question me? <laughs> I tell you, that's something we, we, in our nature, we want to say that to folks, don't we? Who are you to question me? I got this figured out. I know what to do here. Now, we can't really do that. Maybe in some tiny, little, tiny, limited circumstance, we might actually be right. But you want to be careful and not be sinning and arrogant when you do that. But God has every right to do that. Job's been complaining and complaining and complaining. And God just shows up and said, who are you to question me? Were you there whenever I formed the earth? Were you there when I hung the stars in the sky? And he just begins to rail on Job for a couple chapters until Job says, I put my hand over my mouth. And the Lord says, hey, I'm not through yet. <laughs> and he goes a couple more chapters just wearing him out. <laughs> Parting that sea. And at the conclusion of the matter, after Job has been transitioned from over here of certain doom to improbable and amazing deliverance, Job said, I put my hand up on my mouth. I am vile. I am vile. I spoke whereof I knew not. See, in Isaiah 51, our text that we read more than normal about this morning, I want you to notice here on verse Let's read verse 10 again. He says, art, art thou not it, the arm of the Lord, which hath dried the sea, the waters of the great deep, that hath made the depths of the sea a way for the ransom to pass over? Therefore the redeemed of the Lord shall return and come with singing unto Zion. And everlasting joy shall be upon their head. Now I'll tell you, I don't believe this is just reserved from heaven for heaven, okay? I believe that this is something that we can enjoy now. What did they do on the other side of the Red Sea for an entire chapter almost? You read that whenever they were delivered over there and they're all just standing there in stunned silence as they look upon the bodies of the Egyptians floating up in the water and the tide bringing them in and them looking there. We thought we were dead. We thought we were destroyed. And now we see these Egyptians floating up and we just did what? We just walked across the Red Sea on dry ground? The Lord made a way for us to pass over, for the ransom to pass over? What happens amidst that stunned silence? A voice penetrated the ears of the Israelites. It was the voice of Moses in song. And he sang the song of Moses. It's a song of deliverance. It's also in the book of Revelation. By the way, they're singing that song. You talk about a greatest hit. You think you've got a song that you is your favorite song? This is one of God's favorite songs. 
And it's a song of deliverance that Moses sang on the shores of the Red Sea. And they're still singing it in heaven today. The song of Moses and the song of the Lamb. You see, the song of Moses is the song of the Lamb. And the Lamb is our deliverance. Now notice what it says. It says, I, even I, am am he that comforteth you. This is verse 12. Who art thou that thou shouldest be afraid of a man that shall die? It sounds like me whenever I get on to my kids a little bit. You know, come on, you know better than to not clean up your room. That's one of your chores every day. God's saying, who art thou? What are you thinking that you should be afraid of a man that shall die? And of the son of man, which is like grass. You know, grass, as beautiful as it is, and as it grows green and beautiful, and as aggravating as it is sometimes that we have to cut it so often, it's a weak little thing, isn't it? I mean, it grows up and we, we slice it down with a, with a lawnmower just easily and that, those blades just die. The Lord says, man, it's just like grass. He's just cut down. Why would you be afraid of man that's like grass? And forgettest the Lord thy maker that has stretched forth the heavens and laid the foundations of the earth. And watch this now. And you have feared continually every day because of the fury of the oppressor. Oh, child of grace. Are you fearing continually every day what the next gloom and doom is going to be that they announce? The next statistic that comes out? The next tragedy that comes along? They're just going to keep coming. The Lord said it is folly. It is foolish to just live in that continual fear every day because of these things. Where is the fury of the oppressor? He says. You see? Listen, I want to read to you from... Matthew Henry commentary. I don't refer to the commentaries a lot, but this is good. And this is from the, uh, several hundred years ago. Listen to Matthew Henry. I quote, It is absurd to fear continually every day, to put ourselves upon a constant rack, so as never to be easy, nor to have any enjoyment of ourselves. Now and then a danger may be imminent and threatening, and it may be prudent to fear it, but to be always in a toss, jealous of dangers at every step, and to tremble at the shaking of every leaf is to make ourselves all our lifetimes subject to bondage and to bring upon ourselves that sore judgment which is threatened in the book of Deuteronomy, thou shalt fear day and night. That's the judgment of God. Did you know that? And it's not necessarily He whacked you and put that judgment on you. It is when we forget the power of our Lord. You see? It is absurd to fear because... uh, Excuse me. It is absurd to fear beyond what there is cause to fear. Thou art afraid of the fury of the oppressor, it says. It is true, there is an oppressor. And he is furious. And he designs, it may be, when he has an opportunity to do thee a mischief. And it will be thy wisdom, therefore, to stand upon thy guard. But thou art afraid of him, as if he were ready to destroy. As if he were just now going to cut thy throat. And as if there were no possibility of preventing it. A timorous spirit is thus apt to make the worse of everything. And to apprehend the danger greater and nearer than really it is. Sometimes God is pleased at once to show us the folly of so doing. Where is the fury of the oppressor? It is gone in an instant. And the danger is over. Ere thou art aware. (laughs) You see, by faith we transition from the fear, the continual fear of the fury of the oppressor to absolute and improbable deliverance you understand that you can do that in your mind right now? You can stop and put away the thinking of the fury of the oppressor and the fear that comes at you and is fired at you like missiles and arrows every day. 
You can, you can stop that from penetrating the processes of your thoughts. And you can begin to meditate upon this great God, the power of this God that parted the Red Sea, the power of this God that spared the thief, the power of this God that gave mercy to the woman who was caught in adultery, the power of the God that parted the Red Sea, that had separated the prodigal from his father, the power of this God that has separated the sins of your Red Sea and cast them far away from the east is from the west. You can rejoice in that now and for the rest of your life. And not live continually in fear every day. I tell you, there's fear everywhere. Every corner, there's fears and shadows of fear lurking. I tell you, our God is not a God of fear. Our God is a God of certainty when it comes to deliverance. Our God is a God of power that can part the Red Seas of your life. It says the Lord divided. It means He divided the Red Sea. It means to cleave or to rent them in two. If you're going to uh, take a piece of wood with an axe, what do you do? You take the axe and you cleave it in two. Well, I tell you that there on the shores of the Red Sea, that it was the arm of the Lord that cleaved the Red Sea in two. That the Lord took His arm, His Son Jesus Christ, and the arm of Jesus came down and parted that Red Sea through the wind that put it up there. It was the arm of the Lord that parted the Red Sea. And the people of Israel said, Awake, awake, arm of the Lord. Your arm's fallen asleep. We don't see you, Lord. Where are you, Lord? Are you kidding me? The arm of the Lord never sleeps. He never falls asleep. <laughs> it's us who fall asleep. The Lord cleaved or rent into the Red Sea, the great gulf. The Lord, like a blow dryer, blew upon the ground to turn the muddy water into dry ground. Now, don't forget this too, okay? Please don't forget this. It says that whenever the Lord told Moses to raise the staff up and he began to blow up on the Red Sea, it was all night long. It wasn't an instant process. He did it all night long to blow it back and make sure it was dry. He could have done it just like that, but he chose to do it that way to show his power. And it says, watch this now. It says the angel of the Lord, which is the Lord Jesus Christ, the angel of the Lord that had been leading them with a, with a pillar of fire by night, and a pillar of cloud by day. It says that it positioned itself over behind the Israelites because Pharaoh was coming and it confounded Pharaoh as, they were, as the chariots were approaching so that they could not come nearer. So do you understand, not only was God concentrating all of His power right there and the arm of the Lord was brought down upon the Red Sea and it, and it splashed to the sides, <laughs> but your God is so sovereign and powerful that He was operating right over here behind too. You hear me? That's how sovereignty works. God's not just focusing His little bit of power right here. And it just took a little bit of power, by the way. God's also operating over here. And it says it was darkness to the Egyptians. But you know what? It was light to the Israelites. So they saw the Red Sea parting. They saw the arm of the Lord blowing there and causing it to go backwards. Isn't that glorious? God, you're, you say, well, uh, the Lord's forgotten about me. And I just don't see how I can get through this situation. I'm telling you, the Lord's working in ways that you don't even see. <laughs> And what He's doing for you is darkness to the world. What treasures you have and things that you take up in your heart as Mary did and pondered those things in her heart, those ponderings in your heart, those musings and meditations that God gives you to rejoice in His glory, I tell you, it's foolishness to the world. It's darkness to the world, but it's precious to you. The light that God gave those Israelites there on the shores of that improbable deliverance of the Red Sea, I tell you, it was precious to them, but it was darkness to the Egyptians. And the Egyptians just wandered on in there, charged on in there, and they were drowned in the very deliverance 
that God brought them. See, this is the power of our God. This is His sovereignty. I ask you this morning, do you believe this? Do you believe that our God is the power, has the power to part the Red Sea? Do you believe that He has the power to part the Red Seas of your life? This is His power. You know, they looked up. They didn't have to look at the stuff they were walking through because it, it, it was dry. They looked up and they awed and, and just marveled at what God was doing for them. Look up, child of God. When you're walking in faith like this, you're looking up a lot. I remember I used to walk around the farm and I was always kind of had my head down because I was thinking about what I was fixing to go to do. And my grandmother McCool, she would say, she would say to me, she said, what you thinking? <laughs> and that made me raise up and look around because sometimes I didn't know she was there. She was one of these little, these lookers, you know, that would be at this window, that window, this door, that door. And she, you had to be on your toes because you never knew when grandmother McCool was looking. Aunt Lorraine is taking over that position now. But nonetheless, uh, grandma, I'd be walking like this, going to get a tractor. She'd say, what you looking at? What you concentrating on? I'd look up. <laughs> I tell you what, we need to be shaken and awakened from our looking down. The Lord has made the way. The Lord has walked this path. The Lord has suffered things greater than that we could ever imagine that He has suffered. He, is, he can identify with the things that we suffer, with the Red Seas that we face. And He says, look up. Look up, child of grace. The Lord has dried the ground. The Lord has saved the thief. The Lord has spared the adulterer. The Lord can heal the marriage. The Lord can push back whatever Red Sea that you're dealing with. Faith in these circumstances looks, has these characteristics. It looks upon an impossible circumstance where you have no line of defense. God holds the enemy back. God gives you light. God makes a way. And the only possibility is all glory to the Lord. And don't forget this as we close. We know there was at least one man on the shores of the Red Sea. Maybe three. Joshua and Caleb. There's only one man. The minister of God. The prophet of God. Who fully comprehended the power of God. And what was about to happen. He said, stand still. Stand still. Get a hold of yourself. And see the deliverance of God. You want to see how this plays out sometimes? It may be a minister of God. Obviously one that in no way can compare to Moses. But God has given the gifts of the ministry to the church of God, to the kingdom of God, to the people of God. And it may be a minister of God that comes to you and says, I know you're in a bad spot. The Lord's fixing to part this Red Sea. And this is how I see He's going to do it. Oh, you better listen. God's given that to you in your life to bless you to walk across an impossible situation to come to an amazing and improbable deliverance. As we face our Red Seas, don't forget who the deliverer is. And I'll leave you with these words. With a pack on my back and a staff in my hand, I'm marching in haste through the enemy's land. There's nothing on earth can tempt me to stay. I hold my staff high and shout, up and away. Though many of the trials and troubles I face, I keep pressing on to a faraway place. For I have an appointment long ago my Lord set in the arms of my Savior, sweet blessing of rest. 
I'll not fear the troubles I face in this land, for sweet are such moments to hold Jesus' hand. I'm not long for this world. My watchword is soon. I'll fly from this prison past earth, sky, and moon. Long Satan has sought me. Do you oft hear his roar? Let's travel on quickly. Soon he'll vex us no more. Friend, if anyone asks when my last breath I take, tell them I went to glory, shouting, up and away. Oh, child of grace, look up. Don't fear the oppressor. All you're going to get from this world is fear and consternation and anguish and gloom and doom. No matter who's in office, no matter who goes back in office or doesn't go back in office, or next five years, six years, for the rest of your days on this earth, I can assure you that the world will offer you fear and consternation and you can live continually in fear. The next coronavirus, the next affliction that we face, the next world-stopping germ that comes along, I'm telling you that it's what the world is going to offer you. But I tell you of a different way to think. I give you a better way to look at what's going on around you. I tell you to look up because the Lord who is part of the Red Seas of this world, He's part of the Red Seas of your sin. You can look up and trust in one that is the great deliverer. And when you stand on the shores of glory one day, I promise you that you're not going to look back and think about what you did or what you said or what you thought or what you chose or what you decided in your life. You're going to look back across the shores of time and look through eternity and say, all glory goes to the Lord because He's the deliverer. He's the one with the power. And we will be delivered to the shores of glory because of His power. But right now, Don't live continually in fear. The God of the old days, He's the same today. The God that parted the Red Sea, He's just the same. He's not asleep. Are you? I hope, literally, hope you're not asleep. If you are awake and you feel a burden to follow the Lord, not in fear, but in obedience, as the children of Israel walked across the dry shores of the Red Sea and just gloried and awed at what God had done, I can promise you that will be your experience as you come into the kingdom of God through the waters of baptism and follow the Lord in that way.